If you have your Bibles with you today, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, I love phones and I love all that stuff. It's great. I use them. But there's nothing like a paper Bible because you can, you know, highlight it, circle things, write questions in there. So I encourage you, bring a paper Bible with you. If you don't have one, we have them out there for you at the information table. You can stop by and grab one of those. But I encourage you, bring that with you. Make it your own. Make it something. You might not leave your children much someday. If you're following my plan for retirement, you won't leave your children much someday, but you can leave them a Bible that has all recorded in there what God has been speaking to you over a lifetime, and that will be a treasure for them. Uh, We're continuing today in our series, From This Day Forward, and the question we've been asking in this series is, are great marriages possible? And the answer is yes, though improbable. Because over 50% of all marriages now end in divorce, those that stay together are oftentimes very unhappy. And so if we continue to live the way that the world around us lives, then we can expect to get the results that the world around us gets. But if you want to have a strong and godly marriage where 50 years into it, you can look at your spouse and say, I love you more today than the day that I married you and look at what God has done in our marriage, then you're going to have to make some decisions to do things differently from the world around us. And there are five commitments we've been talking about to be able to fail-proof your marriage. And we talked about how, first of all, you have to make the commitment to seek God together. That before anything else, you are going to seek after Jesus. And the second thing is you have to fight fair. There absolutely will be conflict that arises in marriage. There will be fights. You have to know how to handle that in a godly way. You have to know that we're fighting for resolution, not fighting to be right. We're fighting for unity inside of our marriage. And then we talked about you have to have fun. Uh, You have to have fun inside of your marriage. If you don't have fun, it turns into a business relationship, and we already have enough of those. God wants you to enjoy your marriage. And last week we talked about you have to stay pure. That purity is something that is so integral to our relationship with Jesus and also to our relationship with our spouse. And it's countercultural, but the call to purity on us is something that will enable you to have a good marriage. And then today we're talking about the final commitment, which is never give up. Now, why do we have to make that commitment? Because you are going to feel like giving up. Every single one of you are going to come to the place in your marriage where you're going to say, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. I don't know if this is what I really want for my life. I know that I'm not proud to sit here and be before you guys. I'm going to be completely transparent. There have been times in my marriage where I have thought, Lord, if you could just take this burden from me of my wife... I would be able to really live out your call upon me. Jesus, she's holding me back. Like, Did I marry the wrong person? What's going on here? And you know what? She's felt the same way about me, and I can understand why she feels that way about me at times. But we have to make that decision that regardless of how we might feel at moments, we aren't going to give up on our marriage. See, the temptation is to take the Adam response. Lord, it was the woman you gave me. How many times do you guys feel like what's inhibiting you from happiness, what's inhibiting you from the life that you want to live is your spouse? Every single one of us, if you have been married more than your honeymoon, you have felt that way. It's just a part of relationships. And the reason for that is because you married your opposite. Opposites attract when you're dating, but when you're married, opposites attack. And that's the truth of it. 
all of the things you looked at the person like, oh, they're so opposite of me. We bring completion and unity and health and all this stuff. We're so perfect together. And then you get married and you just like, oh, every opposite thing about you guys is oh, just over and over again. You're like, why are you like this? I thought you would change. I thought I could change you. As my mom says, I finally got my husband trained to how I want him to be. And uh, my dad just kind of hangs his head in shame. <laughs> and I can prove this. We're going to do a little exercise. You guys have to participate with me. Who of you here are punctual? Like you are, I am on time. It doesn't matter if the whole family makes it or not, but I am going to be on time. Yeah, that's right. Now, who of you is creative in your punctuality? <laughs> I've noticed a lot of you guys are sitting next to people that don't have their hands up. How many of you guys are vacation planners. Anybody here, when you go somewhere, you got the itinerary, you know where you're going, when you're going. How many of you guys like the journey? It's not about the destination. It's about the journey and the process of going there exactly. Now, how about this? Where's my savers? Who here is the budgeter? You save your money. You got a financial plan for what? Wow, we don't have any savers here. <laughs> We're going to do a finance series next. And who here is the spenders? Where's the spenders at? Yeah, ushers, get the offering buckets out. We're gonna, we got you tagged. But that's the way it is. You usually end up marrying your opposite, and that's a good thing. What God did was he paired you up with someone that will bring more health to the relationship. If you guys are exactly the same in every area, one of you is unnecessary. But God paired you up with someone who is opposite from you in many ways, and that's a beautiful thing. But what happens is we look at how opposite our spouse is in different areas and it starts to cause anger. It begins to cause distrust inside of us. It leads us to the place of where you begin to disconnect from them and you start living a separate life and you begin to even despise them at times. You can go from puppy dog eyes in love to divorce court in just a matter of months. And that's why we have to make this commitment to never give up. Because marriage is tough. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. But marriage is worth it. Yeah. It's absolutely worth it. And the longer I'm married, the more return there is on it. The more precious, the more cherished it becomes to me. But you're going to have opportunities inside of your marriage where you're going to say, this is hard. I don't know if we're going to make it. I want to get out. But we as Christians have to make that commitment to never give up. And now I want to say this to two different groups of people. If you're in a relationship right now that is physically abusive, the way that you fight for the marriage and that you never give up isn't by continuing to stay in that home where you are at risk. You get out of there. Amen. You let someone know. You call friends. You call family. You call me. You need to get to a safe place. And then you can work on the marriage there through counseling and other things that can come in. You don't have to give up on the marriage, but you need to get out of it into a place of where you can work on the marriage to bring health to it. Amen. But if you're getting knocked around, you need to get out of that place. And then secondly, if you're here and you're divorced today, I don't want you to feel guilt about this message. Odds are you've already been dealing with enough guilt about a failed marriage. There's been enough people that have condemned you. Satan's been sitting there and he's been throwing it in your face. And in every marriage, it takes two people. And you might have been trying to do your best to preserve the marriage and uphold it, but the other person just wasn't and there was nothing you could do. Or maybe you even find yourself in the place of where you didn't do everything you could do to preserve that marriage. You can't change the past. What's happened has happened. But God can bring healing. 
God can bring restoration. And we can make a decision that regardless of what might have happened in the past, what brokenness, what sin there might have been in me, what damage might have been done, from this day forward, I'm going to live in a new way. From this day forward, I'm going to walk into the fullness of everything that God has called me to. From this day forward, I'm never giving up. Now, in Matthew chapter 19, some Pharisees have come to Jesus and they're beginning to question him because they're trying to trap him. They don't like the authority that he has. They don't like how everybody's listening to him and they're turning to him instead of following them. And so they're trying to trip him up and they come to him asking him a question about marriage and they get far more than they ever asked for. It says, some Pharisees came up to him to test him and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now at this time, and in this culture, what's happened is there is, uh, women are possessions. That's it. You can own cattle and cows and goats and sheep and fields and your wife. Uh, they have no rights, and what they can do is you can just divorce your wife for any reason. Different cultures have different rules for what you can do uh, to divorce your wife. And in some cultures, they actually, the husband would carry the marriage certificate around with him as the nuclear option. So if his wife does something he doesn't like, he can pull it out. Like, I'm going to rip this up. If you cross me, if you do what I told you not to do, I'm going to divorce you. And to be a single woman in that culture meant that you didn't have any food, you didn't have any protection, you didn't have a home. So you'd have to do whatever it took to just keep your husband happy. And there were different rules that they had. I remember, this is so foreign to me. I remember I had a teacher that I absolutely loved, and he grew up in a Middle Eastern culture. And we were talking about divorce, and he said, yeah, one of the reasons we could divorce back home was if our wife burns our food. I said, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah. I'm like, why? And he said, well, it's because it's a passive-aggressive way for her to show that she's mad at me. And I'm like, I just burn stuff sometimes because I'm not the best at, like, you know, paying attention. And so that Christmas, I, I made him some cookies and I burned them just a little bit <laughs> to make him wonder, like, is he mad at me? <laughs> but not enough to make him fail me. But at this time, you can divorce your wife for any reason. And in the Jewish tradition, they've come up with their own rules. They have some protections, but there's all these criteria of what you can do to divorce your wife. And so Jesus responds to them. They're trying to see if he's going to answer the question right, if he remembers all of the rules and the exemptions and all the legal stuff that goes along with it. And Jesus says something completely different. He says, haven't you read, and he's quoting scripture, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. What Jesus is saying is that there aren't reasons for divorce. God didn't create it for you to have all of these easy outs of your relationship. He says, you guys don't understand. You came up with all of these reasons why you can abandon your spouse because you didn't understand God's intent for marriage. You don't understand what it is spiritually that happens to you when you get married. You understand that you leave your parents' house and that you, you come together, but you don't understand what spiritually is happening here. When you came together as man and wife into marriage, you made a covenant before God and he made you one. You guys didn't make yourself one. It says God made them one. It's like this. You guys remember from your construction or your construction paper days in fourth grade art, if you'd have it together and you're supposed to make something and you'd take two pieces of paper and you'd just put them together. 
Two separate pieces of paper. You can put them together and you can pull them apart. So you get creative and you say, I'm going to glue these two pieces of paper together and that will be my masterpiece. At least that's what I did because I'm terrible at art. And so you can glue two pieces of construction paper together. And when that dries, you don't have two pieces of paper anymore. You have one piece of paper. And what happens if you try to separate it and tear them apart? You can't do it. The pieces are stuck together. It's bonded together. It rips. It tears. It's uneven. You can never again restore two glued pieces of paper into separate, beautiful, pristine originals. It's an impossibility. And it's the same with marriage. What God has done is he's made you one. He's bonded you together into one life. And there is no possible way for you to be separated again and go back to your original state of health. There's no way for you to go without having pieces torn and pieces ripped out of you. That's an impossibility spiritually. And what our culture doesn't understand is that what God made one can't be unmade. You can't unone what God has won. That's not good grammar, but it's pretty accurate theologically. <laughs> this is how we view marriage in our culture is that it's a contract. But marriage is a covenant, not a contract. And there are big differences between contracts and covenants. And we need to understand this because we're a contract culture. We don't understand what it means to be in covenant with someone. And so here's the motivation behind the two of them. A contract is based on mutual distrust. And a covenant is based on mutual commitment. Here's what a contract does, is it limits your responsibility and increases your rights. That's the whole goal of having a contract. I want to make sure that I can't be held responsible for things, and I want to make sure that I can hold someone else responsible. I want to make sure that I have out clauses, that if things don't work out, I can bail on it. i got to protect myself. If any of you have ever rented an apartment or a home, you know that you sign a contract. And in that contract, it says, basically, I'm in it as far as you're in it. These are the things that I'm going to do, and these are the expectations that I have for you. But if either one of us fails to meet these expectations, then we can get out. That there's going to be penalties for you in that area. Every single one of us that's ever rented a home or apartment, even if you have a mortgage, there is a contract that's come along with it. And just as a contract was made to try to protect yourself, you can also be broken. There's always an out clause in a contract. But a covenant says this. It's a permanent relationship. And it's what God has with us. God is a covenantal God. And what God says is that I am entering into a permanent relationship with you. There's no out. There's no end date on this. It is forever. That's what covenants are. It's forever. It's a commitment to each other. And the word Covenant, actually, when we go back to original language, is bereath, which, interestingly enough, means to cut. And this is where it's going to get graphic. What they would do when they had a covenant in the earliest days that we have recorded from the Bible is they would take a bull, and they would slaughter the bull, and they would cut it into pieces. And then the people that entered into a covenant would together walk through between the pieces of the bull. And this is what they were saying, is that there's no out for us in this. If one of us breaks this covenant, then let it be done unto us as has been done to the bull. 
It was a life and death commitment for them. It also means to cut. The priest in the early days of marriage in the Old Testament, when the bride and the groom came together, they would take a knife and they would cut into the palm of the hand just enough to draw blood. And then they would cut into the hand of the bride just enough to draw blood. They would put their hands together and then tie a rope around the hands. And the reason that they're doing this is because it says that the life is in the blood. We understand now that oxygen is being carried in your blood and other metabolic processes are happening in there, but you need your blood. When you have no blood, you have no life. And what they were doing was they were mingling their life together. They were combining their blood. They were combining their life. They were being tied together as one in a way that could never be undone. Two separate lives had now been combined together. And that's the symbol. That's what it looks like for us to have a covenant with someone. As till death do us part. What we do, sometimes we have a contract mentality in marriage of, you know, I'm going to be committed to you until you fail me. I'm going to be committed to you until you don't make me happy anymore. I'm going to be committed to you until you betray me. And then after that, I'm going to get out. In fact, I love, every now and then, I just like to see what's going on in, in other belief systems. And so one of the big things now is to have these secular wedding vows. And one of the vows that I found in the secular wedding vows was, I will be faithful to you as long as I love you. I give that about three days. <laughs> Tops. I will be committed to you as long as I love you. That's a contract. That doesn't build a healthy marriage. You need a covenant, the commitment that we're one life and that God has made us one and there's no way for us to get out of this even if we wanted to, even if we tried. There's no way we can go back to that. Wish till death do us part. Now Ruth Graham, who's Bill, who was Billy Graham's wife, she ended up uh, passing away and she's with the Lord now. But they're an incredible couple. They have changed the face of this world through the ministry that God gave them. And she was asked one time by a reporter, did you ever think about divorcing Billy Graham? And she said, no, never. Thought about murdering him a few times, but <laughs> divorce was never an option for us. And she said, look, it got tough for us. It wasn't easy being married. He's on the road nine months out of the year. He's traveling around. Everybody's loving him, adoring him, and I'm home raising the six kids by myself. It wasn't easy being married to Billy. We had problems just like everybody else has in their marriage, but we were committed to each other. We made a covenant together. We were made one, and there was no quitting. There are going to be tough times, absolutely. There are going to be times where you feel like you need to get out of your marriage. There are going to be times where you feel like it just can't work anymore, and this is when we have to decide that we're never going to give up. It doesn't matter what we feel like. You know, getting divorced because you don't love someone anymore it was like, going, like leaving your car by the side of the road and buying a new one because it ran out of gas. What do you do when your car runs out of gas? You fill it up with gas again. What do you do when you fall out of love with someone? You fill up your marriage with love again. Yeah. You don't give up on it. And that's the number one reason people come to me and they say, you know, I just don't love them anymore. I'm like, that's okay. My wife and I don't always feel lovey-dovey towards each other. There's times we're pretty annoyed with each other, honestly. But we're never giving up. And this is what you need to do. If you find yourself in that place this morning of where you don't have love in your marriage and you're not feeling love towards the other person, you need to realize that we have the God who is love. 
He's not just a God who loves, he is love. And so if you find yourself at the place of where you don't have the ability to love your spouse anymore, then what you need to do is go to God and say, God, I believe that you're the one who nothing is impossible for. God, I don't have love in my heart anymore, but I know that I need to love my spouse and not to give up on them. So God, would you supernaturally fill me with love? God, would you take who you are and put it inside of me so that no matter what it is that my spouse does to me, I have the ability to love them? Because God doesn't want you just to be committed to this marriage and just accept the fact, you know what, we don't love each other, we are never going to love each other again, but we made a covenant, so we're just in this till we die. God wants you to have a loving marriage. God wants you to enjoy that marriage. It might take a while. It might take a lot of effort. It might take a miraculous move of God, but we serve the miraculous God. And since he is love, he has the ability to supernaturally put love inside of you for your spouse. Open yourself up. Surrender to him. Be honest with God. Be real honest. Say, God, I don't love them anymore. God, I need you to do something inside of my heart because it's not in me. This is what it says in the Bible, too, is that you can't claim to be a Christian if you hate someone. It says you can't hate your brother and be a Christian. If you can't hate your brother, you certainly can't hate your spouse and say that you're a Christian. It might take heart surgery on you, and that's okay because that's what it is that God can do. And if you want to, to invest in your marriage today, you're looking and saying, okay, my marriage needs work. I don't want to give up. I am going to be committed, but how do I go back to having a good and healthy marriage again? There's a spiritual principle that I want to talk about, and it's called sowing and reaping. And it's something that applies to absolutely every area of life. It says in Galatians chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So the first thing it's saying is that you reap what you sow. If you plant apple seeds somewhere, what are you going to get? Apples. You're never going to plant apple seeds and get orange trees. It does not happen. That's an impossibility. What happens if you plant smiles? I think about it. When, you, when someone walks towards you and they smile at you, what's the natural response? Even if you don't know them, even if they're a stranger, they look creepy, whatever, if someone smiles at you, you smile back, right? It's just what's stirred up inside of you. Uh, what happens if you're driving your car and someone flips you the bird? You pray for them and bless them because you're a Christian, right? <laughs> That's your second response. But the initial response is you want to reciprocate, right? Because what has been sown will be reaped. So what happens when we bring this into our marriage? What happens when you're gracious towards your spouse? What's their natural reaction going to be? They want to reciprocate. They want to be gracious back towards you. When you're compassionate, what happens? They'll be compassionate back. This is what I discovered. When Anna's at work and it's been a crazy day, if I clean up the kitchen and do the dishes and vacuum and do everything I can to show love towards her, like she comes home and I'm Superman. Like, she, she just is, when I just make a little effort to show love to her, she shows love to me. And it's incredible, and it's the same way. Whatever I'm putting into the marriage, I end up getting back out of it. So what happens if you are complaining about your spouse all the time? When you're sowing complaint, what can you expect to get back? Complaints. When you're sowing anger towards your spouse, what are, how are they going to respond to you? They're going to be angry. When you're critical of them, 
What are they going to be towards you? Critical. It's a super simple law. What you sow, you are going to reap. And what you have to understand, too, is that your spouse is a multiplier. You sow a little bit of anger into them, and they'll give you a tenfold back the harvest that you reap. It's just the way it works. It's a spiritual principle. It works in the physical. It works in, in the natu- natural. It works in the spiritual. Everywhere, whatever you're putting into someone, you are going to get back and oftentimes multiplied what you put into them. So if you don't like what you're getting out of your marriage, maybe it's time to look at what you're putting into it. If you feel like your spouse is the problem, if you feel like they're nothing but critical, complaining, angry towards you, is that maybe what you've been putting into them? Are you reaping that because it's what you've sown into the marriage? What you need to do is you need to start blessing them. You need to start speaking life into them, encouraging them. Even if they're being critical towards you, you have to make the decision, is it stops with me? I can keep letting them do this and keep giving back and going back and forth and back and forth and just grows and gets worse and worse, or I can decide that I'm going to make a difference here. And that regardless of how they might be speaking to me, I'm not going to return anger towards them. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak blessing. I'm going to speak encouragement. And you know what's going to happen over time? Is you're going to get back what you've been putting in. It says, if we do not grow weary at the right time. Now, the weary part, that's the hard one. Because you might say, I was nice to them and they still were mean to me. Well, yeah, it might take days. It might take months, weeks. It might take years for this to happen. But the principle is there. And if we don't grow weary at the right time, we will reap what it is that we have sown into the marriage. And then number two, you reap where you sow. If you plant a tree over here, you're not going to reap a harvest over there. So where are you sowing in your life? Are you putting your best into your marriage? Or are you putting it into your career, your hobbies, even good things like your children? Because if you're putting all of your best into something other than your marriage, you're never going to get anything good out of your marriage. And this is a hard one for us because we are driven. We want to be successful. We want to have careers. We want to be well thought of. We want to invest in all of these different things. There's a million great things and causes in this world that we can be invested in. But if it sacrifices investing in our marriage first and foremost, then our marriage is going to suffer and we will never reap the harvest that we want inside of it. We might find good things happening in our career. We might find good things happening in the Rotary Club or wherever else we're involved in. But it won't mean anything if your marriage is falling apart. Is God your number one priority? And is your spouse your number two? Because if that isn't the priority list in your life, you will not have a godly marriage. You will not have the marriage that God has called you to have. What happened was Ann and I, we had this realization one day that our marriage is as good as we decide it will be. Nobody else gets to decide what my marriage is going to be like. Nobody else is responsible for my marriage. Just Anna and myself. We're the two that decide what it's going to be like. And so we sat down one day and we started thinking, what do we want to see in our marriage? We had kind of a, a vision planning session, I guess you could call it. We brainstormed about what do we want our marriage to look like? We didn't focus on how, like, the difficulties we might have right now. We, we didn't start trying to assign blame and who was wrong here and there. We just sat down first and foremost and decided, where is it that we want to go? What do we want this thing to look like? 
And then from there, we started making the map of what we needed to do to get there, what it was that we needed to sow into the marriage to be able to get what we wanted out of it. And you might be here today, and you might be thinking, you know what, I am, I'm trying to do that. I might want that, but my spouse doesn't. And that's a reality for a lot of people, is one of you might be a believer, the other might not be. One of you might be wanting to fight for the marriage, the other person might want to get out. You know what, your partner might not even be worthy of love because of the way that they've been treating you. But love doesn't give people what they deserve. It gives them what they need. That's what love does. See, marriage is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. We're all going to mess up in this. Every one of us. We're not worthy of the love that our spouse is going to give us. We're going to do all kinds of things that are going to fail them. We're going to do all sorts of things that will betray them. We're going to do all sorts of things that could bring destruction inside of our marriage. But when we make the decision that we're in a covenant together, that God has made us one, and we're going to fight, and we are never going to give up, then we invite God into the process to say, God, would you supernaturally move in our hearts? Would you supernaturally move in our marriage to give us the ability to love each other like you love us? Then at the proper time, you will receive a harvest. What I want you to do today as we're closing out is uh, just to really think about this. What is the harvest that you want in your marriage? As we've been going through these five commitments over the last five weeks, and hopefully God's been speaking to you about it, uh, not bringing condemnation, guilt, or shame, but hopefully you've been feeling inspired to, to reach for the marriage that God has called you to, that you want something better, that you want more of what God has for you. But what is it that you want in your marriage? What's the legacy that you want to leave to your children? Because the greatest model they will ever have of marriage is the relationship that their parents have. The greatest example of the covenant that God has made with us will be demonstrated to them in the covenant that we have with each other. From this day forward, what is it that God's called you to? From this day forward, how has God called you to live? Luke 22.20 says this, After supper, he, being Jesus, took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus is speaking to the new covenant that we have with him. He's speaking to the fact that he was going to die on the cross for our sins, that he was going to make it so that we could be united with God so we could stand pure and guiltless and blameless before God. He was entering into a covenant with us. And this is the beautiful thing about it, is that Jesus paid the price. He shed his blood so that we could enter into covenant with him to be his people that he would never give up on, that he would never abandon before we ever decided that we wanted in. Before we were ever worthy of love, before we even decided that we wanted to be in the covenant. Jesus shed his blood for us. There's no love like that. And this morning, maybe he's speaking to you. You know that you need help in your marriage and you need to cry out to God for that. Or maybe in your singleness, your dating, wherever it is, you might need help from God in that. Or maybe you're here today 
and you're not in that covenant with God or you've been joined as one with Christ Jesus and you've been forgiven of your sins and you know the love of the Father in your life. And this morning, he's inviting you into that covenant. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. God, we thank you that nothing is impossible for you. And Jesus, this morning, for every person who's here that's far from you, God, that you're calling to and they know they need to enter into a relationship with you, Father, would you speak to them now? And if that's you this morning, then all it takes is you just to say, Father, forgive me of my sins. From this day forward, I'm living my life for you. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you fill me with the new life that only you can give? I'm turning away from the old life and I'm turning into the new that you've given me, to the new that you've called me to. Come and fill me. And for those of you that are struggling in your marriage or you just want more in your marriage, this morning, let's make that commitment. God, we come before you as a people who entered into a covenant of marriage together before you. And God, today we want more. God, we want a stronger better, healthier, more godly marriage. God, fill us with love and passion for each other. Jesus, fill us with a, a commitment, God, that is never failing for each other, just like you have given us. And if you're here and you want that, but your spouse doesn't, then Father, we pray for those spouses. Jesus, that you would reveal yourself to them. God, that you would bring a holy conviction inside of them that brings them to the place of repentance. Jesus, we pray that you would blow them away with your love and affection for them, that it would lead them to you. Jesus, in Radiant Church, would you build strong marriages? Marriages that continue to model and demonstrate you and your love to the world that's around us. God, raising strong, godly families that are a blessing to the city that's around us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. And we're going to continue to worship together this morning.